The Where Our Minds Wander podcast may contain sensitive content. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings, fellow wanderers, to the places our minds wander. Where strange lights speed beyond reason across a clear night sky. The house at the end of the road where disembodied voices whisper and strange noises make the living shiver. Lurking shadows hiding on the edge of the woods just outside your back door. Odd true events throughout time that lead you down the rabbit hole. I'm Wes. And I'm Beth. And this is where our minds wander. Hello and welcome to Where Our Minds Wander, all you fellow wanderers. For those of you new listeners, I'm Wes, and that's my wife and co-host, Beth. Hello, everyone. And each week, we delve into stories that pique our curiosity. Also, this episode will air on Thanksgiving. So for those of you who celebrate Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving to all of you and all of your loved ones. Perhaps you'll be listening to us when you're relaxing and digesting all that delicious food you just gobbled down. Did you know that only male turkeys gobble? I thought they all went gobble. They don't, just the male turkeys. I never knew that. It's true. Well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> it is. That's why I mentioned it. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> Do you want to get to it? Well, with that said... I guess let's get into it, Beth. So where did your mind wander this week? Well, to be honest, my mind wandered a lot this week. Well, usually it does. <laughs> More than usual, because it was a long week. But at one point, my brain wandered to the ocean, and I found the tale of a ghost ship. And it's a chilling tale, if it really ever happened at all. Well, that sounds pretty mysterious. In May 1947, shipping vessels on their way through the busy Strait of Malacca near Indonesia received a crackling, desperate voice on their radios. An Italian heard, quote, SOS from ship Orang Medan. Ships with short wave get urgent DH medico, end quote. Another sailor reported the following message, quote, we are floating. Second officer dead on bridge. Captain and chief engineer dead in chart room. Probably whole crew dead. Partly. And then the transmission ended. What the hell? The message was interrupted with unintelligible Morse code. Then a voice said, I am dying. But the most often repeated call for help is this one. Quote, all officers, including Captain, dead. Lying in chart room and on bridge, probably whole crew dead. I die. Can you imagine hearing that creepy distress call coming over your ship's radio? No, I cannot. The SS Orang Medan, as far as we know, was a 40-year-old 5,000-ton cargo steamer ship. In Malaysian, Orang Medan means man of Medan, but other accounts will muddy that up a bit. 
Writer Wynne Brooks, the first to report the harrowing tale, pointed out in 1948 that giving a ship a masculine name was bad luck. As you can imagine, several ships headed towards the distressed Medan, a journey which took them into the following day. When they finally caught sight of the Medan, it was stationary, listing slightly its smokestacks dead. But it seemed perfectly intact. No damage whatsoever was visible. The only odd thing at first view was that one of the lifeboats was missing. A crew member from the Silver Star, one of the responding ships, hailed the Medan, but was met with silence. And from all accounts, what the rescue ships discovered aboard the SS Orang Medan was truly horrifying. Well, I can't wait to hear about this. All 22 crew members, as well as one dog, were dead. The dead crewmen's eyes stared wide with horror, their faces twisted in sheer terror and their arms extended as if to fight off something unseen. Even the dog's face was frozen in a snarl. Not the poor dog. Yeah, even the dog. The captain was found on the bridge. The bridge officers were found in the wheelhouse or chart room. The engineers had perished at their stations, and the radio operator was still at his station. What the hell? None of them had any visible wounds, and all of them were decaying much faster than you would expect. As if the horror of what they found wasn't enough, the rescue crew didn't have time to examine the bodies any further or begin removing the deceased from the ship, because in one version of the account, suddenly one of them noticed the smokestacks. When only moments before they had all been smokeless, one was now billowing, and not just smoke, it appeared to be engulfed in flames. In another version, the Silver Star crew had decided to tow the Medan for salvage, and once they had roped the two ships together, a Silver Star crew member noticed smoke billowing out of the number four cargo hold. Regardless which version of events you take as truth, what happened next is the same in all accounts. The rescuers abandoned the ship as quickly as they could, as four explosions ripped the Orang Medan apart. Holding her secrets, she sank to the bottom of the sea. Wow. The way the story hit the newspapers was a little odd. There were articles printed in England as early as 1940, which is seven years before the Medan supposedly sank. In these accounts, the ship was called just the Medan, and the distress call was similar. However, the radio operator asked for warship support, leading rescuers to believe they were under some sort of pirate attack. When the rescue vessel arrived, only 12 bodies were discovered. The story didn't hit America until 1948, and writer Wynne Brooks was the one who shared the tale the most often. His reports were picked up by the San Francisco Examiner, among other reputable sources. According to Brooks, the story actually originated in Indonesia until Elsevier's Weekly, a periodical from Holland, came across the tale. The Elsevier's Weekly article said their source was an Italian officer named Silvio Shirley, 
who had been on the ship that came to the Orang Medan's aid. The Elsevier Weekly editor said he bought the rights to Shirley's story, along with a photograph of one of the dead crew members, but then Shirley disappeared and couldn't be reached. Skeptics, of course, point out that Shirley's disappearance could be the number one red flag that the Orang Medan never existed at all and was just a tall tale he had concocted. To add to the doubts, the Orang Medan was never registered with Lloyd's shipping, a sign many believe further proves that the ship never existed. But others say that not being registered doesn't really disprove anything. Medan actually referred to a Sumatran island, and therefore the ship would have been registered there. Other historians argue that the Medan was a Dutch ship originally, but was stolen by pirates and operated under the radar, so to speak, for all its voyages after that. Well, I could see where that could be possible. Yeah. For those that take the Orang Medan's existence as fact, the most obvious next question is, what the heck happened? From early on, most speculated that some sort of chemical or gas leak caused the crew deaths. In 1953, Otto Milke, a German author, published a booklet titled The Death Ship at Sea, in which he proposed that a chemical or gas leak could have prompted an explosion. And such suspect cargo would have been enough for the ship's captain to avoid registering the vessel. But why would a ship be carrying poisonous chemicals in 1947? Well, it's not as far-fetched as you might think. There is the theory that the Japanese military may have been smuggling potassium cyanide and nitroglycerin as part of the secret Unit 731. Unit 731 was an experimental biological weapons research and development unit. Their aim was to create the most powerful biological weapon, of course. That's not all Unit 731 supposedly did, but that's an entirely different episode. But I will say, they did some really nasty shit, and the U.S. government pardoned a bunch of the scientists so that we could have the information they had amassed. Yeah, I can see that happening because we know that the U.S. recruited a bunch of German scientists after... World War II as well. Right. Right. And that Unit 731 thing was was just bad news. Skeptics, of course, then ask if there was such horrible fumes that killed all the crew and the dog, then why weren't the rescuers affected? To add to the tale and to return to writer... Win Brooks. Remember, he said there was allegedly one lifeboat missing from the Orang Medan. Brooks reported that there was quite a bit of speculation about that boat and how there could be one survivor. Brooks claimed that this one survivor rowed away from the disaster and was found alive on a Pacific island. He told the islanders that two gases had accidentally been mixed together to create a deadly toxic cloud. He was told by his superior officers to ignore it and not to abandon ship, but he didn't listen. This lone survivor died shortly after telling his tale. Now, this is interesting. Unit 731's existence wasn't public knowledge until 1949. So who knows if 
Brooks knew about it and added it to his tale, or whether his tale was actually true at all. That's very strange. No matter which side of the Orang Medan story you side on, fact or fiction, some historians have dedicated their entire careers to finding out. Very interesting, dear. Thank you. I'd like to know whether there is any truth to this story or not. Well, we know there are plenty of ghost ships out there. And pirates. And <laughs> pirates. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I can see them dabbling with the, the chemical weapons. There, there's a lot to the theories that could be true. I agree. It's hmm. interesting. Well, maybe someday we'll find out a little bit more about it. Hey, did you know... In 2016, archaeologists discovered the earliest known full written sentence using an alphabet. The sentence is 3,700 years old and is etched into an ivory comb. As the earliest known sentence using an alphabet, one could assume it must be utterly profound. What does the sentence say? May this tusk root out the lice of the hair and the beard. Who'd have thunk it? So where did your mind wander off to this week? Well, you know, I'm always intrigued by a good UFO sighting or now known as UAP, unknown aerial phenomena. You know, especially when they're reported by people who make uh, a living flying the skies, like military pilots and commercial airline pilots. Right, because... By far, they're the people who would know. They've seen everything recognizable in the skies, so if they're seeing something they can't explain, I'd totally believe them. Of course. And this one caught my eye, and I find it pretty remarkable, despite what the official line was regarding what it must have been. So we don't have to go too far back in time, at least not for people our age, to 1986 and to a Japan Airlines cargo plane, Flight 1628, that was flying over Alaska. The pilot, Kanju Terauchi, was not a novice captain. He'd logged over 10,000 flight hours, and he was an ex-fighter pilot. As of 1986, he had been flying for around 29 years. It was a routine flight from Paris to Iceland, and then on to Anchorage, Alaska, before returning to Tokyo. Alaska was a pretty routine stop for commercial passenger jets, too, because I can remember in the late 80s, we stopped there once on a flight from the U.S. to Tokyo to refuel when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's right. You lived in Japan for quite a few years. I did for four years. Yeah. yeah. Around 5.09 p.m. on November 17th, air traffic control out of Anchorage asked them to adjust their flight path by 15 degrees, taking them south of Fort Yukon and Fairbanks. The adjustment was made, but when Captain Terauchi looked out his window, where he was seated on the left side of the cockpit, he noticed some strange lights. He watched the two lights for a few seconds and decided they were most likely military aircraft. But just to be sure, he radioed air traffic control. Air traffic control replied that there were no military aircraft in the area, and furthermore, no other aircraft were showing up on radar. 
Terauchi continued to watch the two lights for a few more moments before contacting air traffic control again. Again, he was told that he was alone in the sky. But that's when things got really weird. The two lights began pacing the cargo plane, and when they got within five miles of the aircraft, Terauchi requested permission to perform evasive maneuvers. Permission was granted, and Terauchi dropped 4,000 feet. When that didn't shake them off, he made a 360-degree turn. Suddenly, both lights were immediately in front of him, and what happened next sounds truly terrifying. Both UFOs began shooting off lights. Oh. <laughs> Terauchi claimed they were so bright that they lit up the cockpit and even seemed to warm his face. Then a few seconds later, the light, which was like jet engine fire, turned into a small circle of lights, but the middle of one ship still sparked a stream of lights ever so often. He said the ship appeared square and about the same size as a DC-8. Since it was only 500 to 1,000 feet away from his cargo plane, he got a pretty good look at it. Wow, that's really close. It is very close. Since air traffic control kept saying they didn't see anything on radar, Terauchi used the onboard digital weather radar. He set it to a distance of 20 miles, and what he saw was a bit more alarming. Not seven or eight miles away was a huge round ship. Wow. This huge ship, which Terauchi estimated was the size of two aircraft carriers, followed them as they approached Fairbanks and Ellison Air Force Base. The two smaller ships had continued to cast a pale white light around the plane, and the larger ship was close behind the plane, silhouetted in the lights. Even though air traffic control claimed they didn't see anything, they offered to send up military planes, but fearing for their safety, Terauchi declined. A United Airlines passenger jet just happened to be in the vicinity at this point, as well as an Air Force cargo plane, and air traffic control asked them to check for any visuals on the encounter. As the two planes got closer, the UFOs, all three of them, just disappeared. Hmm. On the ground at air traffic control, they still didn't see anything on radar, or did they? According to one article I found, the military did catch something huge on radar trailing the 747. In fact, the FBI, CIA, and some members of Reagan's scientific study arrived and poured over all the documents air traffic control and the military had collected about the incident. After determining that it couldn't be the stealth bomber, which was still in development at the time, the official word was they weren't supposed to talk about it. Of course not. The entire incident, according to Terauchi, lasted 50 minutes. The military claimed it lasted for 30 minutes, but either way, they weren't going to go public with any of it. Once Terauchi landed his plane, he and his crew were interviewed. They were all deemed professional and rational by the FAA and that no drugs or alcohol were involved. They expressed that initially they were not alarmed by the UFOs at all, but that they were in shock over what they were seeing. They didn't feel threatened, which was why they didn't want military planes involved. Probably a good idea. Most likely, yes. 
An article published in 1987 claimed that officials had debunked the entire thing. A spokesman for the Federal Aviation Administration in Washington and a spokesman for the FAA in Anchorage claimed that all Terrochi and his crew saw was Jupiter and Mars. Seriously? Jupiter and Mars? Yep, that's what they said. They claim that because Terauchi never mentioned Jupiter or Mars in his radio transmissions, and since both planets were clearly visible on the horizon during the incident, it had to be it. <laughs> Jeez. I know, it makes no sense whatsoever to me. They also claim that what he said during his transmissions and after he landed the plane weren't 100% consistent. So he must have mistaken the two planets. Right, because, you know, Jupiter and Mars fly through the sky and emit shooting trails of light. They also said that the huge circular ship he spotted on his weather radar was simply a mountain. Wow. I know, they're really... (laughs) Wow. (laughs) They're really uh, reaching far out there. A few months later in January, Terauchi had another encounter with what he thought might be another UFO in the same area. His claims were investigated, and they did determine that this time it was actually city lights bouncing off ice crystals in the atmosphere. Terauchi repeatedly accepted this explanation, but the damage was done. Japan Airlines felt Terauchi had embarrassed them and grounded him, relegating him to a desk job. Oh, wow. So he had this completely unexplainable UFO experience in, you said, November, right? Correct. Okay, which probably had him pretty shaken at the time. So I can totally understand how he might be a little on edge when he thought he saw something again in January. Well, that's why a lot of airline pilots or military pilots didn't report UFO sightings back in the day because they would be grounded. Right. And being a pilot, you don't want to be grounded, lose your license, or be put on a desk job. Which is exactly what happened to him. Right. Right. It's it's pretty sad. I think it says more about him, though, and about his first encounter that he readily accepted the second one as having a natural explanation. You know, it just makes his first encounter even more intriguing. At least to me, it does. I think he saw exactly what he said he saw. I think so, too. Well, as always, you can check our sources in our show notes if you want to learn more about the SS Orang Medan or Japan Airlines Flight 1628. Yeah, and you can find links to our Facebook page and our website and our merch store and our show notes, too. Or you could go directly to our website at whereaminswander.com. And if you're feeling the mood to give us a five-star rating and a comment, we would love that. Because I still do a a little happy dance whenever we get a new one. Yeah, you do. (laughs) I do. So make sure you go leave a comment and a review because I love seeing Beth do the happy dance. (laughs) Well, I guess that about wraps it up for this episode. Yep. So we'll see all you wanderers again next week for an all-new episode of Where Our Minds Wander. See you soon. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to traveling with you again to the places where our minds wander. If you like what you heard, please take a moment and provide us with a five-star rating and a comment. 
It really helps us move up the list so people can find us. See you next week for an all-new episode of Where Our Minds Wander. Wander.